introduce Andrew to you. He's going to be speaking this evening. Um, he's a very gifted young man, and we are really blessed to have him in the church, aren't we? Um, it's been great as well looking at Psalm 19. Um, that's what he's going to be speaking on, and I know we're going to be absolutely thoroughly blessed through it. So, Andrew, why don't you come up and share with us? Thank you very much. Good evening, everybody. Love to be with you on this lovely, lovely evening. Uh, today, we are continuing our psalm series. Last week, we started a new summer series looking at the book of Psalms, this collection of 150 songs or poems smack bang in the middle of the Bible. And if you were here last week, you would have heard Paul kick off this series looking at Psalm 27. And in Psalm 27, we saw how David shows us that gazing upon the beauty of the Lord is a way that we can kind of lift our eyes out of troubles and difficulties we might be experiencing. And we might find God to be our help, our refuge, our strength, our salvation in times of difficulty. And today, the psalm we're going to look at and what we're going to talk about is kind of just another way that we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. So it fits in really nicely. But the key question we're going to tackle, we're going to slightly change the question And we're going to ask, how do you actually get to know God? If you're a Christian, how do you get to know God? Because as soon as you become a Christian, if you put your faith in Jesus and choose to follow him, you already have a relationship existing with him. You know, it's very different to have a relationship than it is to actually really know someone personally. If you were adopted by uh, somebody on earth, you would have a legal relationship straight on as soon as the papers were signed. But actually, you wouldn't have a personal, meaningful relationship until you got to know them. It's the same with God. The relationship starts full on right when we come to Jesus, but actually we need to get to know him. And as I was thinking about this, it reminded me of a time in my life a few years ago. Some of you will know I moved up to a town in the northeast of England called Darlington a few years ago. And when I moved there, I spent the year living with a lovely couple from the church. But before I got there, I had never really met them. I think I met them twice, so I didn't really know them at all. But as soon as I moved in, there was a relationship. They were my landlords or kind of my hosts. There was a relationship established by the situation. But it then took time for us to kind of get to know each other personally and have a meaningful, personal uh, relationship. And there were different ways that that actually happened. And the psalm we're going to look at today, Psalm 19, is telling us different ways that we get to know God. When that relationship's there, it tells us two ways we get to know God and then the result that comes through it. Psalm 19, if you want to turn there if you've got a Bible. It's a psalm written by David. David's a really important individual in the Old Testament. He became king of Israel, who's God's Old Testament people. He wasn't perfect by far, but we're told in the Bible he was a man whose heart was after God. He's a wonderful example to us, an illustration of what it means to really know God and love him and follow him. And it's one of the psalms in this book of 150, which is sometimes called a wisdom psalm, because it deals with the theme of what does it mean to live life well with God. So let me read the psalm in its entirety, and then we'll start to pick it apart a bit. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and, like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, 
rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. When I first arrived in Darlington and I came to the house of my new host, the first thing they did was to give me a tour around this house that was going to be my home. And as we went around the house, there were different things in this home they'd created together which started to tell me something about this couple. I noticed there were lots of photos of the same group of people with my host in it. I realized this was their family. Clearly, family was really important to them. I noticed different artwork and items and things which kind of had an Indian style to them. And I realized there must be some sort of link with India for this couple. Even things like how the house was decorated told me their style, what they liked, and their CD collection, and their book collection, their DVD collection, all of these things were telling me about this couple. Their house they created was almost speaking to me, helping me to get to know them. And David starts this psalm by saying that the creation that God has created, everything around us, is just like that. All the time it's speaking to us, telling us about God. And David starts off, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And he's deliberately trying to point us back to Genesis 1, the very beginning of the Bible, the story of how God creates everything. That word heavens is repeated. The word used here for sky is the word translated um, expanse or firmament in Genesis 1. It's quite a rare word. He's deliberately saying, remember, God has created everything. And all of this stuff that God has created that we see is proclaiming and declaring. Day after day, moment after moment, it is communicating to us. And it's communicating the glory of God. And the glory of God is kind of a hard thing to explain. I've got our heads around. It's almost like the very essence of who God is. It's God in all his godness, all his qualities, all his character, all his being summed up in one. And David also tells us that the heavens, the sky, are declaring to us God's handiwork. Literally, that means the work of his hands. It's telling us it is made by God. And the Bible isn't actually very interested in how God created. You can be a Christian and you can believe God used the Big Bang and evolution. Or you can be a Christian and believe that God was, in a sense, kind of more hands-on involved in forming things. But the universal message of the Bible is that God created everything. And everything around us that God has created is designed to show us something of who he is and what he's like. He moves next to the day and night. He talks about the rotation of day and night and day and night. And the order of that tells us that God is a God of order, a God of structure. And then in verses 3 and 4, he explains that it's like creation has this voice. You're not going to go down to the sea and hear words coming from the waves. You're not going to hear the wind whisper something in your ear. But it's like it's talking to us. So much so, David says, that their voice goes out through all the earth. And I'm sure we've all had those moments like that, when we've seen something in God's creation, we've experienced God through it. When you stood there and you thought, wow, I can see something of God's majesty, his grandeur, his wisdom. About this time last year, I was up in Edinburgh. And in Edinburgh, there's a, a small mountain, which I climbed to the top of, called Arthur's Seat. 
And if you're on the top of there on a clear day, as it was when I was there, you can see the sea on one side, you can see mountain ranges on another, fields, the whole city, you can see all around 360 degrees. I remember just standing there, and it was like my breath had been taken away, just beholding the glory of God, the sheer scale of it, the sheer beauty of it, and it kind of enlarges my vision of God. Well, a few months ago, I was up in London with a mate at the Science Museum, and I'm not particularly into science, but he, uh, to space, but he wanted to go look at the space stuff. And just some of the figures about the size of space and the things that are there, and these amazing, beautiful things that are always in space and yet are barely ever seen. Some things that are too far for us even ever to see, but God's put them there to proclaim his glory. The creation itself is worshipping him and talking to us about him. And in the psalm, verses 5 and 6, David uses the specific example of the sun. He says, look at the sun. It's proclaiming to us the glory of God. He talks about the fact it rises in the morning. He says it's like a bridegroom coming from his chamber. That means pretty happy. So it's a bright sun coming up in the morning. It goes across its course. And day after day, it repeats. And David says, this declares to us the glory of God. And David just knew that basically from kind of daily observation. He didn't have the wonder of modern science and astronomy like we do. Did you know the diameter of the sun is 110 times that of the earth? That means you could fit one million Earths inside the sun. And the sun contains 99.86% of the mass of the solar system. So everything that revolves around our sun, 99.86% of it is actually in the sun itself. The core of the sun can reach almost 15 million degrees Celsius. And just one small centimeter squared of the surface of the sun has enough power in it to power 64, 100-watt light bulbs. And the sun itself is the most or the closest thing to a perfect sphere that has ever been found in all of creation. The sun is just one example that declares to us the glory of God. And it's not just the sky and space that do this. Everything that God has created proclaims to us his glory. All things we find beautiful, art and music. I love music and there are certain points in pieces of music which to me are the most certain proof that God exists. There is such power and such beauty in them. They proclaim to us something of what God is like. And we see throughout the Bible that our response to this should be that we worship. Particularly someone like Romans 1, Paul talks about the fact that God has created the whole world and that should lead us to honor him as God, to worship him. So often he says we're worshiping things down here and that, he says, actually is the essence of rebelling against God. But actually our right response is to honor God as God and to worship him, him for all that he has made. So how do we actually get to know God through creation? How does this happen? I think the most important thing is that we're deliberate about it. For so many of us, we'll be rushing through life, and we've got work, and we're from work to home, we're out doing this, that, and the other. And it's so easy just to rush through and not to appreciate all that is around us, all that God has made. And also because many of us will live in quite built-up urban areas, we literally just don't see a lot of the vastness and the beauty of God's creation very often. So I think it's so important that we make deliberate efforts, actually, to get out to experience God in creation. I'm trying to learn to do this. I walk a lot. I walk along the ridge quite a bit, and there's a few places I walk along where I can look across the whole of the town, right across past Bex Hill, through to Beachy Head, across the vastness of the sea. I'm just trying to train myself to slow down at those moments, to look at it, to have my vision of God expanded, to get to know him that little bit more through that, and to worship him and thank him in response. And theologians sometimes call this general revelation, 
The world around us is revealing God to us, but in quite a general way. It can tell us God exists. It can tell us a bit of what God's like, about his power and his might and his wisdom and his beauty. But actually, to get to know God personally, we need something else. And back in Darlington, it was the same for me. When I'd had the tour of the house, I had some idea of what this couple were like. I really had begun to get to know them. But actually, it wasn't until we started talking. It wasn't until words got involved that we really began to get to know each other properly. As we talked about our life stories and what was going on in our lives at that point, that was when we really began to get to know each other. And David knows that. And having talked about creation, he then turns to talk about God's word from verse 7 onwards. He uses a variety of terms, things like law and testimony, precepts, commandment, rules. And he's got to use all these general terms to basically sum up everything that God has spoken. This applies, he's saying, to everything that comes from the mouth of God. In David's context, that means particularly the first five books of the Bible, the books written by Moses. Maybe also Joshua and Judges. The next two might well have been written by his time, at least in some form. But actually, because he's talking very generally about the word of God that has come from God, we can legitimately extend this to the whole of the Bible. We're so privileged that we have both the Old Testament and the New Testament. All of it is the word of God given to us. You know, the Bible is a unique book. It's almost the only book that is written by a human being simultaneously as it is written by God. That means every time you read this book, you're hearing God speak to you. Because this is God's words written down for us. And the Bible gives us what theologians call special revelation. Creation is general revelation, but this is special revelation. This is where it gets personal. And even in the psalm, David shows us that. In the first bit about creation, he just talks about God. And he uses basically the most generic term for God you can get in the original he uses there. But when he turns to talk about the law, it's the law of the Lord. And the commandment of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord. And when you read Lord in capital letters, as it is here in the Old Testament, that's uh, signifying God's personal name. It's the name he revealed to Moses, the name he gave uh, Israel to use for him. It's the name he uses between those he has a personal relationship with. David's showing us when we turn to the word of God, that's when we get personal with God and our relationship with him develops. And he tells us two things in this uh, part of the psalm. He tells us what God's word is like and then what God's word does. So let's quickly zip through what God's word is like. He tells us God's word is perfect. Rightly understood, rightly interpreted, God's word is completely perfect. It is without fault and it is without mistake. God's word is sure, it is trustworthy, it's like a firm foundation which is solid beneath your feet. It's not going to move, it's not going to change. It is trustworthy and sure for us to build and base our lives upon. It's right, that means it is morally right, it is upright, it is correct, it is proper, and it's pure and clean. So, so far removed from anything that is evil or in rebellion to God, and aligned with God's own perfection, what sometimes we call God's holiness. That means his perfection in all moral qualities. And it's true. It is truthful. And because it's truthful, it's dependable. It is reliable. And David tells us it is righteous. That means it's just. It is fair. This means that God's word stands in such stark contrast to so many of the words we hear today. The words of the media, the words of politicians, the words so often we read on social media, even often the words we say to each other. That means we need to know what this word says because it's the only perfect, sure foundation on which we can build our lives. 
And then David also tells us what this word does. And this is the really important bit. Because the reason we encourage you to read your Bible is not so you can get some brownie points with God. It's not so you can look good. It's because it's going to do stuff. As we read the Bible, God works in us. The reason you eat food is because it does you good. And the reason we digest the word of God is because it does us good. And David picks out four things that the word of God will do and how it will help us to get to know God. First of all, he says, the word of God revives the soul. God's word gives true life to our true being. You know, this is true at the very, very beginning of Christian life. When God's word comes, he can bring faith to a human heart, and it's the faith which takes hold of new life. New life comes into a dead soul when the word of God comes and faith responds. But it's also just true in Christian life. As a Christian, you can never again be dead in your sins, but sometimes we can just feel really dry. We can feel a bit like there's no life left in us. But actually, the Word of God revives our soul. It's a bit like if you're ever just feeling really low and you phone a friend, just hearing a friend's voice, someone you know loves you and cares for you, it can do so much to help you. But it's even more powerful than a friend's because this is the Word of the one who created you, the one you are designed to be in relationship with. I had a wonderful experience of this just week. It was Sunday afternoon. I had a really busy weekend. I was really tired. I was just feeling pretty low, to be honest. But I opened my Bible to start looking at this psalm ready for today. And I just felt, as I read it and I meditated, I thought, what is God saying here? I felt like a lightness come. I felt like I was getting out of a low place. God was reviving my soul through his word. Because as we read his words, we're hearing his voice. If you ever feel that you're feeling dry or feeling far from God, You need the Word of God. You need to read the Bible. Another thing David tells us the Word of God does is it makes the simple wise. Now, wisdom is uh, kind of the art of living well. And biblical wisdom is the art of living well in and through relationship with God. And sometimes the Word of God will directly address what's going on in our lives. It will give us really clear guidance. Often it actually won't. But what the Word of God does is it trains us to make good decisions. It's a bit like wearing glasses. I need to go to the opticians this week to get uh, new glasses because my eyes have changed and the prescription isn't quite sharp enough. And they will improve it so I'll be able to see more clearly. When we read the Word of God, it's like the prescription and the lenses that we use to interpret the world is sharpened up. Each time, God is sharpening it so we understand it better. So when we come to a situation, it may not be addressed directly in the Bible, but actually we've been shaped so we can interpret things and we can understand things and think well and apply wisdom to the situation. So if you need wisdom in life, you need the Word of God, you need to read the Bible. Then David tells us the Word of God rejoices the heart. This Word tells us about who God is. It tells us everything that God has done and everything that God has promised, all the certain things that he will do for us. It is solid truth that doesn't change, doesn't fail. And you know, that means it can bring joy in any situation. Even the darkest times, even the most difficult and painful things, this truth in God's word can bring joy to our hearts in the midst of it. If you need joy, you need the word of God, you need to read the Bible. And the final one, he tells us that the word of God enlightens the eyes. That means it kind of helps you to see clearly. And I think the idea here is that so often, actually, our eyes are darkened. It's like the lenses get really messy because we begin to believe lies. All the world around us is constantly telling us lies, but actually this book, this word of God, is the unchanging truth. And it's powerful truth. It's truth that has the power to break through lies. As you read this word, it cleans off the muck of your lenses and allows you to see clearly, to believe the truth and to live the truth. 
So if you need to be freed from lies and to believe and live the truth, you need the Word of God. You need to read the Bible. And then David responds to this. He's beheld the glory of God in creation. He's beheld um, what it's like to read God's Word and what it does. And that thing, he shows us how much he desires God's Word. He says he desires God's Word more than gold, even fine gold. And he finds it sweeter even than honey. He values it above anything else. That's because he knows that true fulfillment is found when he has God's word and he digests it and he lives out God's will. And I find David's words here such a challenge. He says he would rather have God's word over a whole mountain of gold, even the finest gold. And for so many of us, we have lots of Bibles maybe on our shelves, and yet they can so often just be nice ornaments there, which actually don't get opened very often. And you hear amazing, challenging stories from countries where it's illegal to be a Christian or illegal even to own a Bible, of believers who've followed Jesus faithfully for decades sometimes, and for the first time they are given a Bible. They hold in their hands the Word of God, and they literally weep. They so value it. They know how valuable it is. And sometimes I think we're so spoiled that we have such free access to it that we forget what a wonderful privilege it is, what a wonderful resource, how much God wants to use it to help us and for us to grow through it. How then do we actually grow? How do we come to value it more than gold, more than the latest iPad, more than a fancy car? I think you do it by tasting it. If you wanted to get to really like some food, you would start to eat it. And as you found, oh, I quite like this, you'd eat a bit more. And the more and more you ate, you'd think, I really like this food. It's the same with the Word of God. When you start to eat it, you taste how good it is. When you start to see what it does as it revives your soul, as it gives you wisdom, as it rejoices you, you begin to see, this is good. This is doing me good. So if you want to grow in your love for the Word of God, just start reading it, allowing God to speak to you, allowing God to work in your heart through it. And there's lots we could say on how do we actually read the Word of God, but there's one key word, really, I want to give you today, and that is routine. Most Bible reading doesn't happen purely because it's not planned and we don't put it into our routines. But the more it becomes part of the thing we do regularly, it fits into how our days and our weeks work, the more we're going to do it. Find the time where you won't be distracted and the place where you're far away from uh, other people or other things that are going to distract you. And just start to read a chapter or two a day. And pray before you read. Ask the Holy Spirit who authored this book to come and help you understand. And then read a bit and then pray a bit and read a bit and pray a bit and kind of commune with God as you do it. And if you think you want to make a start on reading the Bible daily, maybe you've never done that before, I've written a blog on the website which went live this morning. You can go, and there's some clear directions there on different things to help you. There's reading plans. You think, well, I don't even know what I should be reading in the Bible. There's reading plans that will guide you through. Head to the website, and that will give you kind of a clear uh, step-by-step guide almost to starting a daily habit of reading God's Word. So having looked at creation and the word of God, David finishes by responding to God. Because the more he's got to know God, the more he's seen him, the more he wants to become like God. As he sees God's utter perfection, he realizes that he himself is so imperfect, but he wants to become like God. The more we get to know God, the more we become transformed by him. And David really puts it in two ways. He starts with the negative, and then he talks about the positive. First of all, the negative, what he doesn't want, is to be guilty. And so he asks for God's forgiveness. In verse 12, he talks about hidden faults. There are things he knows he does, but he does them so regularly, he almost doesn't realize he does them anymore. Those habits that are so ingrained in us, 
that actually we almost forget that it's not God's best for us. But he asked God to forgive him for these, to leave him blameless, to declare him innocent. But then he also knows there are things he does that he just chooses to do. He knows they're wrong, but he chooses to do them. That's what he means by presumptuous sins. And here he asks that he would not be mastered by them. He knows that sometimes it feels like he is controlled so that he has to do these things he doesn't want to do and God doesn't want him to do. And so his prayer is that God would ensure he's not mastered, he's not under the dominion of this sin. But then he gives the positive. He wants to be blameless and acceptable to God. And in the very last verse of the psalm, we find that having considered the wordless communication of creation, having considered the word of God, his heart's desire is that his words would be acceptable to God. Wordless communication of God's word makes him think, man, I want my words to be acceptable to God. So he's gone on this, this journey of creation, of, God where it gets, of God's word where it gets personal, and then of response. And you know, I think as we turn to the New Testament, we find that Jesus is the greater fulfillment and the greater answer to this psalm. Jesus is the greater fulfillment because this psalm's all about getting to know God. And actually, the primary way we can get to know God is through Jesus. Jesus came to make a way for us to come to God and to explain to us what God is like. So, for example, in the New Testament, one of the letters, the letter to the Hebrews, starts by saying, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So he's talking about the Old Testament. And then he says, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son. He, that's Jesus, the Son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The heavens declare the glory of God, but Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus is God come to earth to show us what God is really like and radiates God's very godness, his own glory. Or we could look in John's gospel. John's gospel starts with a kind of a long poem, and he ends with this amazing line. He says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And he has made him known there. The word literally means he's related or uh, expounded or explained in detail. Jesus came to earth to explain in detail to us what God is really like. If you want to get to know God, get to know Jesus. Find out what he's like. Read the Gospels. We see how Jesus was when he was earth in the four Gospels. Also read Revelation. That's the last book in the Bible. That shows us actually what Jesus is like now, what Jesus is doing now. If you want to get to know God, you've got to get to know Jesus. He is the greater fulfillment of this psalm. But he's also the greater answer. Remember when David got to the end, his desire was for forgiveness. His desire was for freedom from the power of sin. And for both of these things, Jesus is the answer. Jesus offers forgiveness to anyone who turns away from a life of sin, choosing to follow him, asking him and trusting him to accept them. He's the perfect sacrifice who died in our place. So that just as David requested, we might be blameless and we might be innocent of great transgression. And Jesus is also the one who frees us from the power of sin. Now, the Bible says that David was completely right. That outside of Christ, actually, we are enslaved to sin. Sin is like a slave master. And slaves basically have to do what their slave masters say. And so even if we don't want to, it says we naturally sin. But the Bible promises us when we put our faith in Jesus, we die with him. And when you die, you will no longer belong to your slave master. And it tells us that when we raise with Jesus to new life, now we have a new master. Now God 
is our master. Now our hearts desire us to live God's way, not to go the way of sin. Jesus is the one who can free us from the dominion of sin. Jesus is the answer. And this is an invitation for any of us today, any of us who know we need forgiveness for the things we've done wrong, or any of us who know that I need freedom from the controlling power of sin in my life. Jesus is the answer for us today. So we said tonight, when you get to know Jesus, you become a Christian, you have a relationship, but you don't automatically know him personally. We need to get to know God through creation. We behold him, we see his existence, we see something of his character and his being. But then we also need to get to know him through his word. That's where we really can develop a personal understanding of who he is, a personal relationship with him. Maybe that's something that today you need to take action on. You need to make a decision that this week you're going to put in that time in your diary where you're not going to be distracted, you're going to find the place where you'll be uh, free from distractions, and you're going to start reading his words. And we get to know through uh, God through Jesus. By getting to know what Jesus is like, we see what God the Father is like. And our response today, I think, kind of falls into two halves. On the one half, I want us to to stand in a moment and just worship God. We've heard things about God, even just those facts about the Son. What about you? But they lifted my gaze again to see the glory of God. And it's right that we respond in worship. But also, I think there's a place for us now to make a decision in our hearts that we want to get to know God. Actually, the uh, working out of this comes tomorrow. Actually, we can make a decision to say, say, no, I want to get to know you better, God. And to think about how we're going to do that and to let him speak to us and challenge us and give us ideas about how we can do that. So if you're willing and able, can I encourage you to stand with me? We're shown that we're engaging with God. And if the band want to head back up. And if you want to respond today, you want to say, yeah, I want to get to know God better. And I'm responding with you today. I'm saying, I want to get to know God better. Why not just do something just to kind of show God you're saying that? Often it's useful just to raise our hands, to close our eyes. It's a, a way of saying, God, I'm open to you. God, I'm responding to you. And just right now in your heart, why don't you just tell God, I want to get to know you better. And why not ask him just to speak to you about what you can do? Is it that you need to enjoy creation more? Is it that actually you need to start reading uh, the Bible more often? You need to get to know Jesus better. Just ask the Holy Spirit now to speak to you. What is it that he wants you to do? What is it that he's inviting you to do to coming more and more into this relationship he has for you? I'm going to pray for us and then we'll worship and respond to God. Father God, we thank you so much that you have not just uh, saved us and left us, but that you want us to have an intimate relationship with you. Thank you, your heart's desire is that we get to know you and that we live in the light of and response to our relationship with you. I thank you, you are a God who has revealed yourself, that every time we see the beauty of your creation, we are seeing something of you in it. And I thank you that you have revealed yourself personally in your word, that it is sure, that it is true, that it is right, that it is pure, and that it revives our souls, giving us wisdom, bringing joy. I thank you that you sent Jesus that he might explain to us what you are truly, truly like. And I just pray now for every one of us here who's raising our hand and saying, I want to know you better, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you help us to do that? This week, would you equip us to do that? Would you help us to take those proactive steps, to be deliberate, to get into routines, Lord? And I pray that you will take us into a wonderful intimacy with you. Day by day, we will encounter you. We will know you better and better and better. We ask that would you do that for your glory and for our gifts. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. The guys are going to lead us now. It's just a chance for us to respond to God.